out you want to talk to me. Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? Yeah. What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy... My name is Christopher Maverick. You can call me Mav, and I am here once again with Wayne Wise. We have a show two weeks in a row. Hey, Wayne. Hey, Mav. We did it. <laughs> yeah, we did it. Um, nothing blew up for me this week. Your computer still work? Yep. So, I don't know, like several shows ago, we, we talked about we should do some Halloween shows because it's October, and that's something people do with podcasts. So, so here we are. Yeah. yeah. I guess this technically counts as one. Yeah. We have... Tens of 20 or 20s of listeners all over the world. <laughs> we, we decided we'd do one on slasher films because, well, the movie Halloween has a sequel coming out this weekend, which I am looking forward to. And we thought, well, what can we do with slashers? And one of my favorite books, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, during the episode is called Men, Women and Chainsaws. It's uh, by a woman named Carolyn Clover. And it talks about the relationship between the final girl and the slasher. and I really like the movie Halloween and I like like four other slasher films and that's it. And I know almost nothing else other than I've read the book. How much do you know? Uh, not a lot. I, I've read a lot of horror. I've written some things that probably qualify as horror. Uh, mm-hmm. Not so much the, the slasher genre, though. So so this is going to be one of the really fun shows where neither of us know anything, which is Huzzah. why we always get other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but that's the point because it means we get to learn. Yeah, right. So we have three guests this week. And let's see, let's go in order of, I guess I'll go in the order that I met everybody. The first one is Gwendolyn Keist. Hey, Gwen. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Gwen's an author. And so, well, Pittsburgh's weird because we have a burgeoning horror scene in that I don't know how that happened. I, I blame George Romero because of yeah. Red yeah. and Dead was filmed here. But yeah, no, we have lots of people who are into yeah, into writing horror in one in one way or another, and Gwendolyn is one of them. Yes. Right? Yep. Yes, I am. How long have you been doing it? I've been writing horror in one form or another most of my life, but professionally as a horror fiction author for the last three to four years. So okay. professionally, only a few years, but in some form or another for a long time. <laughs> okay. And next, we have another horror author. This is Christine Solstice. Solstice. <laughs> See, then right before the show, you're like, oh, we were fine. going to be sure we pronounce it right. And then I did. Yeah, it's so confusing. 
Hey, Christine. Hello. <laughs> and I met Christine on another show like this where we were both guests. That was a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, that was yeah, it was a PC TV studios. Yeah, yeah. So, how long have you been doing this? Uh, I actually wrote my first book around 2002, 2003. Um, I didn't start publishing until about 2008. And then mm-hmm. I, I started doing events around like 2010, 2011. So it's been, it's mm-hmm. been a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then finally, I have a colleague of mine from work who... You're not really, you're not a horror author. You're an academic like me, a literary theorist, literary and cultural theorist like myself, who just loves, well, horror in general. This is, um, this is John. Hi, everyone. John, thanks for having me. Hello. John John Adlock uh, works with me at Duquesne University and is one of the biggest horror slasher film junkies I know. I think, is that fair? I think that's much, yeah, definitely not any kind of an expert, just spend my life watching slasher movies, bad, the good, the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> so as per normal on this show, we, you know, we, we always like having a bunch of different voices and different ideas about stuff. So I figured, well, here are three people who know way more than I do and way more than Wayne does. So it's a rare that either one of us encounter that. <laughs> no, everybody, I mean, everybody knows more than I do. I just, I'm, I'm really good at faking it, <laughs> pretending I'm smart. It's great. <laughs> so the first thing that I, that I thought of when, when we were talking about doing this show was because Halloween was coming out and of the actual slasher films that I like, Halloween is probably my favorite. And no offense to any of the other bajillion slasher movies that are out there, but Halloween's the one where it's like, oh, this is actually a really good movie movie. It's also a good slasher movie, but just from a pure important cinema point of view, I feel like that's one where I go, oh, this is this is actually legit really good should be on best picture lists. So that's where I started. And then I was like, well, why is that? And uh, I read a book called Men, Women, Chainsaws, like I said, which has a lot of theories on why that movie is important and how it led to the birth of the rest of the, particularly the slasher genre and the, the advent of the final girl character in horror movies in general. And that's all I really know. So I'm just going to ask you three, why is Halloween important? Uh, I think the cinematography is is fantastic. I think yeah. um it really introduces the kind of point of view style that makes the slasher the slasher. I very much like that. I think that that's a great point. I, what I love about Halloween is it bridges that gap between the very filmmaker driven horror, say psycho from Hitchcock. And Mm -hmm. is that bridge to, to the more low budget films that you can really see that, 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 like you said, that point of view, it's very voyeuristic, but it's still got something about it that feels very high art, even though it is so low budget. And so I like that you, you Mm -hmm. bring up that cinematography right away because I can very much see how that plays into it. What about you, Christine? Uh, You know, I mean, well, first of all, the title Halloween is going to stand out to anybody because, you know, that's what people look forward to all year. Even whenever it's summer, they're like, oh, I can't wait till it's it's fall. You know, Uh, you know, they're waiting for Halloween. And then you've got this creepy guy who, you know, you're just going camping or wherever you're doing. And and he just kind of 
appears out of nowhere and, and wants to kill you. So it's kind of like frightening, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen it in forever. I hate to say it. Um, it's been a long time since I watched any of the Halloween movies. Um, so shame on me. <laughs> John, you, you watched, how many of them did you watch today? Just the first one? I just watched the first one today. I've been trying to, <laughs> to bone up, but, uh, yeah, just just the first one today. Mm. Um, although I've been recently watching the later sequels, which are absolutely atrocious and <laughs> very difficult. To actually, you have to make yourself watch them. I think. Well, of course, the third one has nothing to do with the rest of them and has its own yeah, like yeah. following all by itself. I'm not sure. I haven't seen it in about 20 years. I'm willing to rewatch it at some point, but I did not like it when I saw it as, as a teenager. I was very angry at it. So <laughs> yeah, I think I tried to watch it when I was a teenager and had no interest. Um, mm-hmm. But I watched it last year, I think uh, with my wife. And I think we both thought this would be a great, I mean, it was supposed to be the shift in the franchise mm-hmm. wherein the rest of the sequels were supposed to do the same kind of twist yeah. on looking at Halloween from like a different point of view or something. Which seems promising, but um, yeah, yeah. My under, my understanding is that he wanted to do an anthology series. He wanted to do he wanted to do all kinds of different stuff. The first one was so popular that they just sort of pushed him into doing Halloween two, and then he's like, "All right, now I'm going to do what I wanted to do." And everybody's like, "No, no, no, we don't want this. This is not not where we're going. Give us more Michael Myers." Uh-huh. And then we got more Michael Myers, but not in the way we wanted. I don't think. Yeah, it seemed like in that regard, it kind of was like a a disappointment all around, unfortunately. But like I said, I have a lot of people in in my horror circles that are big fans of Halloween 3. And so I'm willing to give it another shot now that I'm older and kind of can look at it from a more like that cult film perspective. And I maybe I can get more into it. But like I said, it was definitely not my 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 favorite when I was young. Yeah, I think I should rewatch all of them, too, because, you know, I, I don't quite remember them as well as I should you know I, I saw the uh, the one from Rob Zombie I saw that mm. one that's the, that's the most recent one that I saw it's about it Yeah, I didn't care for the Rob Zombie one I, I've seen very few of these. Uh, I, I've seen random ones. You know, I've, I saw the original Halloween, of course. And, you know, one of the Friday the 13th and one, maybe two of the Nightmare on Elm Street. I just, I, I mean, quite honestly, I, I like horror. The slasher genre has never really grabbed me or appealed to me. Um, I'm a bit squeamish, <laughs> which might have something to do with it. So, but, but it's, it's a different type of horror. And, and that's not... That's not meant as a judgment against it. I, I recognize the, the value of it and, and whatever. It just it's never been that type of, of horror film has never been my thing really. So well, I think that's one of the things that's interesting about slasher films in general. I am a big horror thriller fan. So the the movies that I like that um, that are the ones the scary movies that I like. I like a lot of early Hitchcock stuff. The Birds mm-hmm. is one of my favorite movies ever. One of the more recent movies that I think is actually absolutely amazing that I would technically qualify as horror is The Grey. Okay. With Liam Neeson. Yeah, I can see that. It's just, you know how Liam Neeson got to the point where all movies are taken? He just makes taken over and over again. So, so, so nobody's taken in the, it, it, you know, like, because he made taken and then he's like, he made three of them. He's like, now I'm going to do taken on a, on a plane. <laughs> Let me take it on a boat. Let me take it on a train. Yeah. And, and, and like 
just the, like Liam Neeson movies are now about. I'm just he's a guy with a particular set of skills, and someone <laughs> takes something from him, and he has to go get it back. And that's the movie. And, and I thought the gray was going to be Liam Neeson. Someone takes a wolf from him or something. It wasn't really clear from the commercials. But like, like all you saw was the commercial of him. Like the entire, the entire advertising, you have to look, watch the trailer. The entire advertising campaign for it was just him staring down the wolf. And you're okay. So spoilers for the gray, a movie that's like six years old. But the, the movie is like, he stares down the wolf in the trailer and you're like, Holy shit, Liam Neeson's gonna fight a wolf. Gotta watch this. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta watch this. So so you go out to the theater and you see it. And it's a movie about it's like these six guys and they're trapped in the wilderness and there's a wolf chasing them and the wolf kills them one by one. And then it comes down to Liam Neeson and the wolf in the, like the last five minutes in the movie, and that's where that stare down happens. And then it fades to black and it comes back, and they're both dying or not we're not sure and you never see them fight the wolf and you're like what the fuck <laughs> and, and, and everybody and everybody's just really mad because you just wanted to watch Liam Neeson like fight, fight the wolf, fight wolf. And it's the one thing that you never see in the entire movie is him <laughs> actually fight the wolf but then I've, I've seen it like three times and every time I watch it it's, it it's it's more and more terrifying each time because in a way that like like Jaws isn't really about fighting the shark yeah Jaws is another movie that I love Jaws is about being afraid of the shark this is just this is a movie about the visceral fear of being lost in the woods and about to die. Mm. And I love stuff like that. So I love it's a you know, like birds. I've yeah. seen the birds a dozen times. I don't know what the fuck's going on in the birds. I never have. They're scary. Yeah, they're birds and they're attacking. For reasons. <laughs> for reasons. <laughs> it's scary. And, and, yeah. Like, I mean, the screen, like I've written screenplays, the screenplay for birds is like three pages long. It's You, got, you have two pages of setup and then you're like, and then birds attack. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, I don't know, figure it out in the day. You've got the birthday party. You've got like uh, the restaurant yeah. scene. It's basically like you just move the action from one, one yeah. scene to another. Yes. Yeah, you're like, maybe there's, maybe there's pelicans. I don't know. I think you all raise a good question about the slasher movie, which is, and Clover talks about this. Why do we keep watching them? if they're so predictable, if the plot doesn't matter. I mean, Wayne was talking about seeing bits and pieces of Halloween on TV, whatever Halloween movie mm-hmm. it might've been. Mm-hmm. And it's almost and it like that's just, how... I mean, after the first one, cause I would say if Halloween's good, yeah. I'd mm-hmm. say Halloween two is all right. It's not good. It's all right. <laughs> and, and I only think it's all right because I've seen others, <laughs> which yeah. are not. But after in Halloween three, as as pointed out by everybody, doesn't really count. <laughs> and four and all on, and, and, and the reason I'm pointing this out because I will also say that the first Friday the Thirteenth is a good movie. The second mm-hmm. Friday the Thirteenth, I actually like. I know. I, mean, I, I, I like love the. I mean, I love all the Friday the Thirteenth, but the yeah. second might be. Well, it's up there for me. I'd say Friday the Thirteenth three through. I think they're on 18 billion and <laughs> Halloween <laughs> and Halloween four through 17 billion. I don't know. Are the same movie. There's no, there's no difference. Nothing matters anymore. You, you, like after those first couple, it's okay. There's a guy, he's got some sort of, you know, stabby thing and a funny mask and, 
you know, I don't know, just make some kids fuck and then he'll kill them. That's, <laughs> that's all the that's all of the movies. In fact, what might make those movies bad is that they don't adhere to that formula, which is what you want. When and in later Halloween movies we get introduced to this young female character who yes. is Michael's yes. niece or something. And it just convolutes everything, really. <laughs> Well, I think for me, like when I like everything we're talking about and I was I wanted to circle back around to your first question about what what makes Halloween work. And I think a lot of it is simplicity. It is that it, <laughs> it there is predictability, but sometimes it's just simplistically winnowing something down so that it's. <laughs> That, that we know what's coming. We know what's coming, but at the same yeah, time, we get to go through this adventure with these characters and face this darkness and come out the other side. And that's something that I always come back to because people ask me, you know, why do you write horror? Why do people, why does horror appeal to people? And very often it does come from the fact that we, that we get to survive it. And I like that you brought up that when you introduce all that extra backstory in, in the later Halloween movies, it does convolute it and it just becomes something extra that takes away from that, that visceral and very primal urge that we have and what attracts us to horror. So after this, the second one, I can't tell them apart. I don't know the order of anything that happens to Michael. I just know that you can't kill him now. And because yeah. because he, I mean, he basically dies in the first movie. If they're if yeah. if they've never made another Halloween, you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, good. They they got rid of him. The girl survives, and we'll get to the final girl in a little bit. It, like that yeah. would that would almost be. That's the ending to so, a pretty so what, good movie. You know, you know what we should it's have like, done, Mav, is it just had several guests and arranged over the course of this entire episode for them to just keep falling off the podcast and disappearing until there was only one left. <laughs> <laughs> we really missed it. And it can't be either well, of us because we're male. Yeah, it's got to be a girl. a great opportunity. Here, so. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, no, but, but that's the thing. Like, so... I mean, I'll talk briefly about the final girl, but the 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 plot of the original Halloween is teenagers are horny and there's a psychopath. So the one teenager who's sexually repressed and not busy having sex is the only one who survives. <laughs> the end. That's you know, you know what you know what that but, that brings up a good point though because uh, the reason that people actually watch these is they're getting the excitement of watching you know the people making out getting ready to have sex and then they're getting the you know the fear that kind of it's like a, it's almost like a dopamine rise in anyone who watches a slasher film because there's some kind of weird exciting thing that just. I don't know, excites them. I don't know. It it excite it would excite me, I guess. <laughs> Just saying I like a little bit of a little bit of that, that that mixture, you know, like there's the the perverted parts and then you've got the uh, the fear yeah. that comes in. I like that yeah. stuff in writing. I like something that might shock you or you know, you're just doing your daily thing and then somebody comes and interrupts it. How yeah, annoying well, when, is that, you know? One of your biggest fears when you're one of your biggest fears when you're young and making love is being caught. So you're being caught by someone who is now going to kill you is even worse, right? Yeah, and it's still it's kind of exciting too. There's so much. My dad will kill us. Really? That might have a lot to do with it. But so Clover makes the argument that that it's uh, John, you've read the book too. It's confusing, but she argues that Michael and, and Lori are both sexually repressed uh, mm -hmm. and they both 
uh, you know, he, his sexual outlet is stabby, stabby, stabby. She yeah. doesn't have one. And then her sexual awakening at the end is when she gets to stab him as the oh. argument. That, Oh, I think that is, is odd. I think psychologically stabbing that is what uh, stabbing would be as a motive of killing someone would be right. some sort of sexual repression. I'd have to look mm-hmm. that up to make sure though. Well, it, it, like, yeah. the, the, for, the form of yeah, killing someone through stabbing. That way. Mm-hmm. Um but, I mean you you bullets anything that is is penetrative penetrative though. Yeah. It's it's more right. yeah, intimate, it's more intimate too, I guess you could say. I love I love men, women, and chainsaws. I wrote a uh, an, a paper on it for mm-hmm. in grad school. I was in grad school for psychology, and I was able to sort of turn it to be like, yes, I I need to read this book for school, <laughs> and I. I love that book so much and I need to go back and reread it because that's been like 10 years ago now. And it was funny because I was reading about the new Halloween and in the article I read, I'm pretty sure they asked both John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis if they had heard of Men, Women, Chainsaws or Carol Clover or The Final oh, wow. Girl. And both of them were like, nope. <laughs> so I thought, I think that's so funny that they, they're so in the center of all of this and so identified as being part of this and yet this very big, big cultural phenomenon that's sort of come up from Halloween, at least in part, and they're sort of clueless on it. So I think that that was really funny. <laughs> but that's interesting. So I'm trying to think. What are the other Hall- the other slasher films that I like? So I'm like the ones that I like a lot. I like the first Friday the Thirteenth because it's weird. Because to me, I don't know that I saw them in order. I don't remember when I first saw the first Friday the Thirteenth because I'm aware now that Jason's not actually in it. <laughs> and, and Spoilers, I don't remember, you know, so I don't remember the order that I. Yeah, whatever. Again, yeah. Spoilers. Yeah, yeah. You listen to the show. <laughs> you know, Rosebud, Rosebud's a sled. Darth Vader's Luke Skywalker's father. <laughs> Deal with it. Um, the, but I, I remember liking that one. I, I don't like it as much as Halloween. Halloween, I think, is actually great. And the other slasher films that I that I actually like are much later. Um, I like a couple of the deconstructions. I really like the first and second scream. And I like the first I know what you did last summer. And then the thing that I and the best one that I've seen in a long, long time was last year's Happy Death Day, which is entirely a different thing. And it's I mean, they're. Yeah, but they're but those are a little those are all movies that are sort of playing with the slasher genre and flipping it on Cabin in the Woods. Just Yeah, Cabin in the Woods I like too. But I mentioned that one in the blog, though that one's weird because it's not entirely a slasher movie. It's it's a deconstruction of a lot of those tropes, but yeah. 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 Or it's not just a slasher well, movie. So. <laughs> One of my favorites predates Halloween by just a few years, Black Christmas, uh, which has Black. a final girl in Olivia Hussey's character, but she doesn't really adhere to that virginal because she's got a boyfriend, she's pregnant, she's considering an abortion in it. It's got like heavier themes going on that just sort of like simmer in the background of the film, but it's got a lot of the same the same markers as Halloween does, and I think it's it's a little bit grittier, but I really like that one. Yeah, Black Christmas is interesting too because I don't feel that 
I mean, rewatching it recently, I don't feel like I remembered who the final girl was until halfway through the movie because it's set, you know, in this in um, uh, sorority house. And so there are a lot of characters who have interesting kind of the kind of leads you expect, uh, like like a Lori Strode to get. Yeah. yeah, it's great though. I love Black Christmas. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I don't know if you guys saw that one. Yeah, I have not you're, seen it. So Yeah, I don't you're, think I have. You're missing out. <laughs> Highly recommended. Margot Kidder is ridiculous in it. I love her. So. <laughs> well, I, you know, one of the, the scariest movies I ever saw in the theater when it first came out ages ago was was Alien, which I think of as a horror film. And, you know, like, uh, so it, it's, it's not yeah, a slasher film, but there's, there's the monster mm-hmm. that's picking them off one by one. So, you know, some of the tropes are, are there's yeah. a final girl. Yes. 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 Is it, I mean, it might actually, I mean, it might be a slasher. It's a slasher film, particularly the first one. Yeah. The, right, yes. right. Second, the second one's an adventure film. Maybe weirder, but yeah. But the first one, I mean, is it not a slasher film just because? The Michael is not human. I, well, I, mean, and, I don't know. In the, in the later, you know, the, the later iterations of Halloween and and certainly Nightmare on Elm Street, they're not really human either. They're not alien, but they're not they're yeah. not human characters. So you know, we've added yes. this science fiction slash fantasy element to it. Um, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's a monster movie at this point. Um, you know, the slasher, yeah. the the human slashers become monsters. Yeah, those are my favorite types. The sci-fi ones, especially, yeah. Alien, Predator. Mm-hmm. Does Nightmare on Street count as a slasher movie? And I don't know. What? I think so. I mean, he's got the knives on his fingers. That's, that's like the epitome of slasher, right? He's got <laughs> So, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I was just looking. It looks like there's something they call the uh, Golden Age of Slasher Films, 1978 to 1984. I just saw that. What's on it? Uh, it's, not, it's just a uh, Wikipedia when you look up like lists of different... Um, it just says it's on the Wikipedia page under slasher mm-hmm. film. It just says the uh, golden age is 1978, 1984. And then it has like a whole list. Uh, Texas mm-hmm. Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Hills Have Eyes, mm-hmm. Toolbox Murders. I haven't even heard of some of these, yeah. but I, have, I, I love the Hills Have Eyes. I, I like that kind of stuff. So. I haven't seen that in a long time. I, I never think of that as a slasher <laughs> film, but I mean, it definitely fits a lot of the molds of it. I can't remember how do they kill people. Is it with knives in it? I don't actually remember, but I, it definitely has that feel of of that same wheelhouse of slasher <laughs> films. So I like there's that. Also, yeah. There's a bit more depravity. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah no, no, I just gonna say there, there's there's all those you know, B movies, you know, schlocky B movie horror films that are made on a budget that some of them go back you know decades with you know, really bad special mm-hmm. effects, but you know the, the the big guts and whatever, and they go for the shock value. Um, someone who can speak to this much much better than I can, a friend of mine who used to run a video store here in, in Pittsburgh called Incredibly Strange Video. Uh, hi, Bruce. Um, and you know he just he just video after video after video of this obscure B movie slasher schlock horror film, some of which goes back to like the fifties and sixties. So it it certainly didn't yeah. it certainly didn't start in the seventies and eighties. It just it was far more underground and and more difficult to find. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. 
But yeah, you know, I, maybe, okay, and why I, why did that take off as a popular genre when it did then? You know, why did that suddenly become mainstream? It looks yeah. like Halloween jumpstarted everything. I'm just reading this. Yeah, um, yeah no, and I, 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 think that's a, I think that's a fair assumption that, that it's the one that did. Yeah, yeah, they're saying it was jumpstarted by the massive success of John Carpenter's Halloween. That's kind of what started the golden age Texas Chainsaw Massacre predates Halloween, but I made yes. an argument in a, in a paper that oh, I yeah. wrote, uh, a paper I wrote for grad school uh, <laughs> a few years ago about what I call the teen virginity quest movie. We, we talked about this briefly on another <laughs> episode, Wayne, where we talked about the, the coming of age, but there's a specific, there's a specific set of, of teenage films, which are, I'm going to lose my virginity by prom night. And, <laughs> and I trace the history of them and far more of them are about girls than boys. You wouldn't think so because you, because the ones you remember are American pie and Porky's and um, uh, um, John Cusack and the sure thing, you know, you remember where he's not technically losing his virginity, but it's essentially that kind of movie. Those are the ones that stand out, but there are a lot of them. Uh, Gidget is that movie, the original Gidget. Huh. Go back I've never and watch seen it. it. What I know about oh. it, I can see how it would fit into that. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Oh, the plot of the original Gidget is she's 15, I think, when it starts and it's summer and her and her girlfriends are basically going to go hang out at the beach and try to find boyfriends and her girlfriends are all her her girlfriends are all, you know, buxom and in bikinis and and walking around and Gidget is is very much a tomboy who hasn't blossomed and doesn't care and thinks this is stupid and they're hanging out at the beach and there's cute surfer boys there and right in front of your eyes Gidget just suddenly hits puberty and suddenly <laughs> just like she sees Moondoggy and she's like yep I'm gonna hit that and like literally she never uses those words but that's what it's like I suddenly I just want him it's an amazing movie I mean I'm making it sound horrible Sandra D is great in this movie the original Gidget is much like horror movies where they make too many of them the sequels get stupider and stupider and stupider, but the first one's really good. I'm making it sound dumb. I mean, it's it's corny and it's very dated, but it's but it's this 15 year old girl. So she dumps her one piece bathing suit and goes out and gets sexier clothes. She starts hanging out with the surfers. Um, they take notice of her because it turns out that she becomes a pretty good surfer. And, you know, and and there's a lot of her, you know, flirting with the boys. And then she tries to play two boys off of each other to make one jealous. And, you know, and, and it's a pretty progressive movie, but it's totally just about her trying to get laid. And then yeah. the movie. Yeah. And then the, the motion picture production code just gets stiffer and stiffer. And those movies kind of go As away to the audience. While. They come back. Yeah. <laughs> they come back with um with uh, uh with a movie called Last Summer, which uh is I think I've mentioned on the show before, has Barbara Hershey Seagull, and it's a movie that yeah. nobody has seen but me and you don't want to, and it's horrific. And then Little Darlings happens, and then they go away because it becomes yeah. passe. And I well, think and I think the slasher film, I think Halloween essentially was the next movement in that because it's about the girl. Not yeah, as you were saying to. this, I'm thinking you little darlings. It's set at summer camp. It's summer camp without Jason. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the same plot. Just no, yeah, yeah, little darlings. <laughs> yeah. 
I know Wayne, yeah. Wayne's seen little Wayne's seen little darlings. Um, I don't know if any of the three of you have no. little darlings is um, little darling stars Tatum O'Neill and Oscar um, Tatum O'Neill Wayne <laughs> Christy Ma- Oscar yes, Tatum Oscar. O'Neill Christy, and Christy, Christy McNichol. Um, McNichol. Um, what's her last McNichol. Um, they are the two stars, and it also stars in a, in a, in a supporting role. Uh, or, or they're the two female leads, and Matt then Dillon. also um, the the guy Matt Dillon is the guy. They're very young; yeah. they're all like fifteen at the time, fifteen, sixteen. If that, and yeah. and and extremely young Cynthia Nixon from Sex and the City. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. she's yeah. like fourteen. Like you, yeah, like you almost the wouldn't young, recognize this person in camp. I and think. And yeah, it's a camp full of girls who have a contest to see who can get laid first. And that's the movie. And you could never make it in 2018 because they're all 15 and they're, <laughs> and they smoke and it, it's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a really good movie that like people would be like, Oh no. But like we moved towards, you know, throughout the seventies, we moved towards sort of a, 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 a time where it's almost okay to talk about sex with kids. So to me, Halloween is sort of a, well, let's start talking about the dangers of this. Well, and, and, yeah. and, you know, let's look at culture right there. I mean, the 70s, you know, we, we have disco and the freedom of the 70s and the sexual revolution and all that stuff. And by the 80s, we have AIDS and Reagan and, you know, all of this stuff going on. I've heard before, I've heard that before that very often that it, horror can follow politics in that way that we sometimes will have situations when things become more conservative like they unfortunately are right now and (laughs) that's when horror can really come out and really can flourish and that's not necessarily always Mm -hmm. true but I do think it's interesting that you brought that up that some of the the sexual revolution things might be replaced with with horror in more conservative times with with the Reagan Mm -hmm. era just as we're seeing horror really having a resurgence right now yeah and and trying to find this way to sublimate these these fears through the horror genre. And, you know, some of the consequences of that that more progressively sexual lifestyle of the 70s you know, some of the, those some of that was coming home to roost there was obviously the beginning of the AIDS crisis but you know I mean and you know, rampant cocaine use you know all this stuff that was the the, the consequences of this great lifestyle <laughs> but, but yeah yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> well, and it's interesting that <clears throat> Halloween is so incredibly suburban. Mm-hmm. That was really yeah. that really struck me rewatching it. Like mm-hmm. it is the most idyllic looking <laughs> midwestern <laughs> suburb. Um, Do we know where it takes place? Does it say Illinois? Okay. Yeah, Haddonfield. You can tell by the characters' accents often. Also, <laughs> they're so midwestern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's another thing that as we've been talking about this that I've never really thought about how many of these iconic slasher films or even some of the, the sexual revolution films like Gidget are very American. I mean, mm-hmm. Halloween is very American. Like you said, it's very suburban and mm-hmm. Friday the 13th very much has this idea of this rural summer yes. camp. It's very American. Mm-hmm. And Gidget is so that kind of, I don't know, does it take place in California? Yeah. I'm assuming it does. That California beach. Yeah, yeah it's very, it does not take place in Illinois. Yes, yes. <laughs> They're very much these iconic landscapes of America. And that's obviously not always true. There's certainly slasher films that have taken place other other places. I can immediately think of Peeping Tom from 1960, which I think came out right before Psycho. So that's certainly not always true. But many of the ones that we kind of keep coming back to are very American. And even uh, 
uh, Nightmare on Elm Street takes place in Springfield, Ohio, I believe. It's definitely supposed to be set in Ohio. Well, yeah, another piece that comes out of that is just the real world stuff. This is the time that we're discovering people like the Zodiac Killer and Son of Sam and you know, serial killers were, were in the news in the 1970s and early 80s. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was a phenomenon that we really hadn't seen in the news before. I mean, you know, I can't say it never happened because obviously, but you know, it, it was it was part of a cultural moment mm-hmm. of these people doing these horrible things. You, know, John Wayne Gacy, and and uh, yeah. so in a very real way, in a very different way. Though this happened in the fifties, but televisions in its infancy in the fifties um, and movies. It, the idea of being a teenager is in its infancy in the fifties. Yes. And yes. yeah, yeah, which is that's another show. But teenagers didn't really exist before the twentieth century. It, it's it's we'll, it's we'll very much talk about River. We'll talk about Archie. Yeah, we'll talk about. Yeah, we'll, so. I don't want to go down Riverdale. Right <laughs> <laughs> Every episode. Hold on, hold on. Because she's not on this episode and she can't stop me. For Hannah's sake, Riverdale is the best show ever. <laughs> which, by the way, is is going into if you don't watch Riverdale um, as of this last show it's going very much into a horror direction so yeah yeah Yeah. oh yeah very 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 overtly um i I haven't seen this week's yet but yeah the the hints were there last week so anyway uh, i saw a tiny bit of it i saw when it first uh, started playing that was it yeah we're, we're 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 moving well into the fears of jack chick here (laughs) it's it's very it's very overtly crazy this season but anyway moving away from riverdale uh if if we're we're looking at these at at these films and after the 70s i mean after vietnam ends we can't think of teenagers as children anymore you know we just sent a bunch of them to kill people and it didn't go well and now they're back and yeah and and that's a different that's that's a very different post-war look that i think affects what youth culture becomes throughout the 80s you know the late 70s and the 80s in a different way than it did after world war ii or korea mm-hmm. i think very slasher movies are very much about communities of teenagers and and putting teenagers in community without adults and just like kind of playing with like what's going to happen if we do that? If we just have a cast of characters that are teenagers, normally played by like twenty-five-year-olds, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, supposedly you know, I, I, I'm playing a teenager on tonight's episode. So, <laughs> Wayne mentions his Halloween costume every So today, to, please tell me your teenage virgin girl. Well, it was down between that and sexy slasher. So you know. Okay. <laughs> teenagers left to their own devices without adults is i mean like so who's the audience for a slasher film? I, I think the audience for a slasher film very much is a teen audience and i think this is different than you know after the original virgin quest movies go away after the fifties and before they come back in the nineties, the, the teenage films in the sixties and the early seventies are very much movie. The sixties up through 69 up, up through last summer. They're very much, these are movies that we grownups think the young people should watch. And, you know, and it's people saying groovy and having dance parties. I mean, like, yeah. and that footage makes all these movies are like, Oh, you know, these, and, and, 
like they were all they were all movies about just you know you know the kids having a groovy good time and you know and we're gonna save the like the, you know someone's gonna shut down the surf shop so we gotta have a, a, a sock hop and, and somehow right. that's but then very very quickly we get things like last picture show and and right you know and American yeah. graffiti so. Right. Well, but those those start coming in in the seventies because yeah. I think what ends up happening is I, I think you're you're post Vietnam. I think you have a world where suddenly adults are scared shitless of, of teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like they're they're no longer it's no longer cute. It's no longer about it's no longer about like trying to killing people just like control them. Yeah, like the idea that oh teenagers are I mean they're dangerous in a way mm-hmm. that you know we haven't thought about since. Since you know, Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean. Well, I, I, and they're more dangerous even than that because I think what's so interesting about Rebel Without a Cause, which I, I grew up a huge James Dean fan, but it seems so tame by standards even set 20 years later. Like you said, when you look at something like Rebel Without a Cause, which came out in 55 versus Halloween that was in 78, it's only 23 years mm-hmm. difference and yet it's a world apart. The, oh, the, yeah. It's so much grittier in Halloween and adolescence does seem so much more dangerous. Yeah, Rebel Without a Cause was trying to make it look dangerous and it still looked so much tamer compared to even a couple decades later. That fear of of youth, I mean, I I mentioned the serial killers, but, you know, the the Manson murders, that group of peace-loving hippies just butchered a bunch of people. Yeah. So, yes. so we. Yes. I mean, there, that that. But they had good music. Well, yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> those those ideals of of the the hippie generation and peace and love and all that stuff, really kind of destroyed by by the image of the Manson family and what they did. Say the events that took place at, at Altamont at the concert there with people dying. Um, yes. So it, yes. It, just tying that into the thing you were saying, Mav, about these are people to be afraid of. You know, they're not innocent teenagers. That you know, they're they're people to be afraid of. I think a lot of that's interesting when you look at from especially timeline wise because like Texas Chainsaw Massacre was more like early to mid 70s and that very much feels like it's coming right off of that that hippie lifestyle and that sort of reactionary you know push back against mm-hmm. it because they, they feel they're in that bus and it has that feel of, of being hippies and, and how much that's starting to sour yeah. in, in the broader mindset. I like that I never really thought about it that way. Quite like that before. Yeah, so that's, the, a, that's really the, the hippie VW bus going across country. The the, the Kool Aid acid test yeah. Yeah. going horribly awry. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a bad, it's a bad trip, man. <laughs> bad trip. <laughs> I'm curious. So again, we've got three people here who've written horror novels of some kind or another or another. And I know what King of Summer is about. Mm-hmm. King of Summer is Wayne's first book. And that very much is about yeah. youth culture and the horrors around it. Yeah. It, it is, is that a fair yeah. you know, 10 yeah. second synopsis of your book? Um, yeah. <laughs> for Gwen and, and for if, Christine. If, if, you, if it and Stranger Things had a baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that sounds oh, good, yeah. actually. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> written, 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 written like 15 years ago, long before Stranger Things. But. Yeah, there was no Stranger Things right. yet. But, it, but there's also, again, and with a heavy dosage of King Arthur stuff. But that's yeah. just you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, like, I'm wondering uh, for Gwen and Christine, have have either of you guys written books 
not, well, not necessarily slasher, the slash slasher could work, but that specifically deal with that group and sort of the fear of teenagers. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I deal a lot with coming of age and body horror. And so a lot of that is, is young women and changing of body sort of a la ginger snaps or even Cronenberg, but sort of taking it more from this, this feminine perspective of how terrifying adolescence is and how much when it starts to go awry, parents are, and adults in general are very, very terrified of it. That's actually what my, my novel that's coming out next month the rust maidens is all about it's it's based in 1980 it's the the steel mills are closing down and these girls are changing in a neighborhood and they're they're like 18 years old and and there's very much this pushback from the community of of what is going on and the fear of of these girls so definitely for for my work christine Oh yeah, definitely. Um, there in, in Transference, that's a sh- one of my short story books. There is a it's, a it's a whole society that is kind of um, hateful, I guess you could say. Um, there are kids who actually throw stones at birds and things like that. And then there's there's a good person who comes and tries to stop all of this. And well, I won't tell you about his fate. Um, and then I also have uh, uh, Final <laughs> Moon is one of Final Moon is one of the novels that we have like comic books for and things like that. And it's where a child. Um, he has a curse that uh, his father ended up bringing back from an island. He was a soldier. Um, his father was a soldier on an island. He ended up with a curse that causes him to kill. He did pass that down to his child, which, and I won't tell you to spoil what his child does, but he's very much to be feared. So there are a lot of different stories where that, you know, my antagonists are, are always um, different types, though. So it could be a woman, it could be a man, it could be anything. Thing, but there are some featuring children who are not very good. <laughs> yeah, my my yeah my my other two don't really focus on not too much the teens or children. Uh, my second one, Scratch, is very much. Like there are supernatural beings in it, but the horror comes from what the humans around them do to keep secrets, this community and and the the danger of secrets. So most of the horror comes from the the people, not the supernatural creatures. Yeah. Um, And then then my third one is it's it's rock and roll and a succubus. So. Oh, (laughs) yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Fantasy. I love those ones. <laughs> so, before moving into just the discussion of what the final girl is, actually, one of the reason I asked that question is because not a slasher film, but one of my favorite horror movies, and everybody's going to agree here just because, uh, where I think we're also moving towards things that sort of transcend just being good in the horror genre and are, you know, at your AFI hundred, I think it might actually be on the AFI 100, but Carrie, Mm. which is not a slasher film at all, but Carrie is a movie that is nothing but, Oh my God, pubescent girls are terrifying. That's what it's about. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the plot of Carrie. It's just like, you know, and it's not even a thinly veiled metaphor, you know, it's just like, (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting because Clover kind of, the very first thing that Clover mentions in the book is Carrie. Mm -hmm. And there's a suggestion there that Carrie is really like, not the first slasher movie, but 
included all the tropes or, yeah. you know, all the yes. characters or... Mm-hmm. Yes. I love Carrie because she's at once the protagonist and the antagonist at points, even though mm-hmm. I would argue that it's the other kids that are actually the antagonists, but since she is the vehicle for the, the, the major horror in it, it's a very interesting kind of turn with that, of having your main character also be the monstrous character yeah. and to have so so much sympathy for her throughout it is it's a, it's an interesting it's a great challenge for the audience to mm-hmm. have to be there with from the monster's perspective throughout it and again i almost hate calling her a monster even though she is she really truly is she's but it she's such a great character she's definitely one of my favorites yeah, I definitely think she's an amazing character. And um, I don't know, like, she got a pretty quick hold on her power. I, I guess I envy her for having those powers. But, uh, <laughs> she's just a character, but I mean, heck, who wouldn't want to do that? But um, she was very uh, quick to be able to master that power. If you think about that, a lot of people, um, you know, you've seen a lot of shows, they'll, they'll have a power and it takes them forever to even know how to use it. She was quick about yeah. that. You know, I kind of admire her. <laughs> that sounds sick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd do what yeah, she did. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd do what she did, of course, but you know, awesome powers. That's for the authorities, yes. <laughs> I'm a little dark. I have a little bit of a darkness, but I'm very nice. <laughs> establish that alibi. Very yeah, good. Let's That's establish that now. Hold <laughs> on. So, <laughs> moving on, moving along for because well, you know, I'm sort of jumping around Clover's book with the main points that I that I want to make, but the the idea of Carrie as sort of the thing to be feared, transitioning to Michael to be the thing to be feared, and then then you know with Lori specifically. And to a lesser extent, other final girls, even Ripley, if we include her in the very first one, mm-hmm. it becomes this thing where you've got the woman, well, girl usually, because they're usually teenagers, but the uh, but the the female character as savior, but she's not quite a savior the way a male character is. And and if, if we think of if we think of the slasher film with the final girl heroine as not necessarily a female demographic focus focus film, but like sort of a certainly a female empowered character because it is it is always you know by trope it's the, it's a woman that's going to save us in the end. Not always, but that's that's the trope anyway. And yeah. then we've got um, in an action movie, for instance, by trope it's a male hero. Mm-hmm. But, but the final girl, at least by rule. You know, pretty much up until Cabin in the Woods, which, you know, specifically calls this out. The final girl is supposed to be a virgin. She's supposed to be sweet. She's supposed to be, you know, she cannot be the gritty guy that the male action hero is. Mm -hmm. But also, rarely does she save the day. She saves herself. Like In most of those movies, I mean, like by the end of Halloween, everyone, I mean, I guess technically she saved the kids by sending them away. Yeah, but, but yeah. most everyone's dead. Like it's not. It's not like it's not like John McClane saving an entire building full of people and Die Hard. You know, it's it's a she got the kids out of there barely because they're barely characters. They're props. But like all the other, all of her friends are dead. In Alien, <laughs> in Friday the Thirteenth, everybody's dead. Nightmare on Elm yes. Street, everybody's dead. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. You can't fight yeah. the aliens. Yeah. 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 Ripley tries to save people she, before she, it gets yeah. to that point. She just starts. Those facehuggers are bastards, though. She saved me. I second hate movie. facehuggers. I really do. But, 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 but then, but then by the beginning of the third, she's dead. So. Yeah, and and then Newt yeah. dies and. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> off screen because the actors didn't want to come back. Yeah, <laughs> I think when I when I go go through these because I, I like the point that you're making that in an action movie it is the idea that everyone's safe, but in horror I guess it, it's that loneliness, it's that being alone that scares us, and so they can't necessarily the final girl can't by by design mm-hmm. save as many people because she has to be by her herself it has to be something that's that's more terrifying and isolating and i would still argue that the final girl saves other people yeah, no. from being killed because right. if she would get killed no. i don't think the the slasher would just be like okay i'm done it's right. all good i killed everybody so you could argue it's like she saves unknown lives yeah yeah because the slasher just be like next <laughs> yeah exactly sure. of course the slasher goes on because they always survive because sequels make money yeah <laughs> inexplicably sometimes right I think there's a reason that or, you know first reactions to the slasher genre were that you know from feminist kind of oriented critics was that the only reason that the final girl is around is so that there's someone for the killer to torture more and I think that's not an illogical response mm-hmm. to that um I think Clover makes some really interesting, you know. Do they get tortured that much? I mean, like, really, like, so very little actually happens to Lori. I mean, he's chasing her, but she's not, yeah. you know, not like the victims. You know, she yeah. they he fight a little bit. Stabs her and she falls down the stairs. Um, and yeah, no, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm what I'm saying is, it's not it's not the eroticized violence that happens to the other characters in the film you know she's comparatively to everyone else in the movie um even the cop who gets shot you know like they're like she's relatively safe yeah and i think that's true of i'm trying to think of just other other final girls that's certainly true of sydney if we move all the way to scream you know like it the final girl has a lot of power ultimately well and i i think the the whole thing that Clover wants to question is the assumption is that the assumption before was that uh, audiences will identify first and foremost with the killer and Clover blows that up and says, no, I actually, I think it's the final girl that the audience identifies most with, even though that audience is a a predominantly teenage voice. I don't, well, well, she assumes that. I don't don't know if that's really true. I mean, I I don't know. I know a lot. I mean, I'm not a horror fan, Again, I'm. I, I, there are there are several distinct ones, but we've named most of my favorites already on the show, and obviously everyone else on the show has way has way more favorites than I do. But I don't know. Is the audience really predominantly male? Does anybody know? 
We can look that up. <laughs> I'm not as convinced as much now. I'm not sure that it's ever been predominantly male. That I've never actually seen statistics on this. There is the idea that most horror fans traditionally have been male, but most, so many of the horror fans I've known have been female. So I'm, again, maybe I'm I'm the wrong the wrong person to ask. Because well, <laughs> I, I mean, always think it's being female too. Like I think of, for one thing, I think of horror movies as date movies in general, which yes. means that yes. assuming a heteronormative world where, you know, a heterosexual couple, probably one man and one woman or one boy and one girl, or, you know, I, I don't know that it's a, it's a particularly better gay male date than lesbian date. I, I don't, you know, I, I think it, I, I don't, I, they don't feel the audience doesn't feel as gendered to me as I think we're supposed to assume it is not like action movies or, I mean, well, by the same token, we say the rom-com is focused in women, except for those are also date movies. So they've always had large male audiences because they were date movies. So. I love that we brought up romance movies twice now because I consider what, what did you call them? The Virgin Quest movies? Is that what you call yeah, them? Yeah, the Virgin, like, Quest, yeah, the Virgin those, Quest movies, absolutely. Yeah, the uh, I consider those you know like romantic comedies, and it's it's great to hear horror and romantic comedies <laughs> mentioned together because they're both so maligned traditionally. Mm-hmm. They're both these, even though they're Tough. polar opposites in a lot of ways. They're they're people dislike them so much and make fun of them sometimes. So I think that that's definitely a thing that they share. Yeah, and I think that you're right; they're not as gendered as we're often told they're, that they're, they are. They're, trash. they're low culture. Yeah, they're, they're they're both all about yeah. getting the girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. no, I wonder if there's something to that too, though. I mean, like they are. It's so. And this is this is an argument that I make when I'm when I'm teaching when I'm teaching my class. Um, when I yeah, we we can bring up Laura Malvi again. When I, when I teach um, one of my favorite literary scholars, Laura Malvi, and I talk about the idea of the male gaze, and I use as my example the Notebook. And I show them, I show them the notebook because the notebook is a movie that like every time I bring it up, every boy in the class goes, "Eh," and every girl was like, Ooh, you know, it's very much, it's very much a, Oh, I love that movie. And, and who's seen it? 90% of the people have seen it. All the girls have seen it a dozen times. The boys have, yeah, I watched it with my girlfriend, you know, (laughs) but here's, but it does, it yeah, it's because you're neither of you are 15, (laughs) but, um, but my, the thing with the notebook, and this is many, many romantic comedies, n- most movies that star John Cusack, of which I am a fan. And, but the notebook, oh, you find out that, you know, the, 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 the sort of the early thing that keeps them apart is Rachel McAdams' mother does not like Ryan Gosling. So when they're separated, he writes her every day for a year. And the mother intercepts all the letters and hides them. So after a year, he gives up and she moves on and meets like another guy and gets engaged. And then when they when they happen upon each other, they're you know sort of bitter towards each, each other. And then finally, she she just blows up. And why, why was it over so suddenly? You never wrote me. And he says, I wrote you. I wrote you every day. I wrote you every day for a year. It wasn't over for me either. It still isn't over. And then they kiss and they have sex and it's you know wonderful and romantic and everybody goes, ah, if a boy writes you every day for a year without you writing back, that's called stalking. It's not okay. <laughs> that is a horrific, horrible thing. And with the ever so slightest tweak to that plot, 
This becomes the greatest slasher movie of all time. Was it really every day? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the book the the movie is very specific <laughs> that he literally writes her he writes her 365 letters and on and gives up on the last day. Because she doesn't write him back. There's like he a, writes her every day for a year. Speaking of the stalker line, there's like a new TV show. I actually saw it by accident. It's called You, like Y O U. And there was a, a creepy stalker guy. It was. It looks like it's turning into a slasher. I only watched one episode, but he he was kind of. It was kind of like that. <laughs> the horror version of a Notebook, I guess you could say. <laughs> I always like when they can't like well, he kidnapped this chick's he kidnapped this chick's boyfriend and like bashed him over the head like in the first episode I was like holy crap he was like staring at her through the window it was creepy it was real creepy well to pick another film that nobody nobody I'm going to spoil this one because no one's going to watch it because it got horrible I saw it in the theaters but didn't get the best reviews, including from me. There was a movie that came out two years ago called Passengers. Yeah, I saw that. Yes. Oh, did you see it? It's got that same type of thing that it's the, okay, that you take this and just move it slightly in perspective. And it's it's very, very, very creepy. It's very creepy. Okay. So so here's, here's Passengers. Passengers was sold as this romantic science fiction exactly. movie. Like this is this is the plot the, the plot of the trailer is there's these people on a um they're on a they're on a spaceship traveling from Earth to some other planet 500 light years away. So they they freeze themselves, they get on the spaceship and it's you know it's a thousand people on the spaceship and you know a hundred years into this 500 year light year trip the um two pods malfunction and they open up and Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt are stuck on the spaceship together. Well, he wipes her so we get up. to like watch he, them. He, no, he, yeah. they don't tell you. They don't tell you that in the trailer. Yeah. In the trailer, it's just like, uh, oh, oh yeah, they make it look like a love story. Yeah. yeah, in the movie, it, it's not two people's pods malfunction. One pod malfunctions, and he's bored for six months. And he takes to just like looking at this hot girl <laughs> in another pod, <laughs> and he's like. Well, fuck! I'm not going to be stuck here alone till I die. So he, so so he wakes her up and tells her, "Oh, I guess your pod malfunctioned too." And then he just basically, eventually manipulates her into falling in love with him. That's horrible. And that is, that's so many romantic comedies, though. That's what I was, was going to say a minute ago. It's like I, I like it when they take like a trailer or they they deconstruct it from just a slightly different perspective. You just turn that perspective a little bit, and a lot of romances are romantic comedies, and they're horrible movies so i do think that there's a through line between the two it's so clearly because like you said it's very easy to see how the notebook is a very terrifying idea if if she's not happy and in love with him and the same thing with passengers and that's why it was so maligned when it came out because it's disturbing that's a very very disturbing and gaslighting situation the movie movie does acknowledge it she does figure it out and she hates them but it's but it but it's it, it should have been even creepier. Like there should have been murder in that yes. movie, and there there's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but then I but I wonder when you when you have films like that, you know, is so maybe the thing that makes us love horror so much is it just being us being afraid of children in real life, us being afraid of of young girls hitting puberty and becoming sexual, us being afraid of all these things. 
maybe it's the thing with you know the fear of how romance works maybe horror is just just enough heightened realism to like make us you know make us able to deal with the fears of actual real life things you know real life society things that for me has always been the appeal of horror was when it takes something that, like you said, that heightened reality, when you take something that we are dealing with every day, a fear of children, the, the fear of coming of age, the fear of love, of connection, and really just turn it and yeah, really bring out the horror in it. I always think of the author Shirley Jackson because that's what she did so much in Haunting of Hill House and, and the lottery. And she takes these very mundane seeming towns or situations and show like brings out the horror of, of just being a human being. So so my last question then, because we we talked about a whole bunch of different genres. We didn't, we didn't stick to just slasher things. But what I'm wondering is to move back towards slashers. Actually, I'm wondering about two movies because I was, was going to say Scream, but also, or no, three movies. Okay, so the ones that I'm thinking of are Scream, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is specifically and very intentionally in both the movie and in the in the in the TV show. Joss's intention of making the you know making the final girl. We talked about this on the Monster Hunter episode. It's about making the final girl absolutely empowered. And then also the one, the weird one for me, which I don't even know if you guys can tell me. One of, another one of the ones that I really love is um, Idle Hands. Idle Hands. Oh, I've never well, heard of that. I haven't thought time. about that. <laughs> Idle, Idle Hands, and this, and this is again, this is again the fear of everything teenagers. Idle Hands is there's um, there's I guess they're like 16, 17 year olds ish. They're teenagers. Like um, so it's a teenage boy who. Stoner, yeah, he's like a, a slacker. Yeah, he's a slacker. He does nothing but play video games, smoke weed, and masturbate. <laughs> and at and at some point, his hand becomes possessed by a demon. So then he's got a de- he's got a demon hand, and so like the the, the monster is literally just his right hand, <laughs> and and it, it, it will try to kill people. And, you know, including his girlfriends played by Jessica Alba, who in classic, you know, I mean, it's very self-aware. It knows it's a it's a comedic horror film. It knows that it's goofy. Um, So much like, say, uh, more so than like scary movie and everything, like she loses an article of clothing in every scene of the movie. So she spends most of it in just her underwear for no apparent reason. And (laughs) we talked, you know, we were talking about the romance. It's uh, in Idle Hands. Like, I think a lot of uh, slasher or, or just horror movies in general, the horrific thing that's happening leads to romance in yeah. a weird way. And like, yeah. it's very clear yeah. in Idle Hands that he never would have gotten the courage to talk to her right. if it weren't for the fact that. Right. She's the popular girl. Yeah. Yeah. She's the popular girl at school and and his and he likes her. And so his hand's going to kill her. So and again, one of the things is he eventually again, spoilers from fell for 20 years ago, but he eventually chops off the hand. But it's a monster. So that doesn't matter. So then he's, you know, they're, they're running around chasing this, this hand, his his hand. And and it's just weird. So but when you take worth watching. Yeah, it actually is. It's, it's it's amusing. But when you take these weird movies that try to deconstruct the horror, like the, the ones that are self-aware, your scream, your Buffy, your idle hands, your cabin in the woods, when you're taking movies that are aware of the horror genre, happy death day, which again, 
is oddly, you know, a horror movie that only I've seen out of everybody on the panel. Um, what does it mean to, to have movies that are so aware of the genre that they try to, they play with the expectations to comment on the genre? Like, what is that even doing? <laughs> I think it's, I think it's older, certainly than Scream. I think that, um, a lot of slasher movies are capable of a surprising level of self-awareness. Uh, Friday the 13th part six, one of my very favorites, um, that, you know, which one it is. is amazing to me. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a scene where it's like these, you know, 10 year old kids in like a cabin, they're huddled, you know, they know Jason's coming. And one of them is reading Jean Paul Sartre, no exit. And it's like, Clearly a very self-aware moment. I know 10 year old is, is, you know, trying to point to like the philosophical, you know, underpinnings of an absurd maybe genre. I like when the slasher genre in particular is self-aware because it's a nod to the audience. Like, like we were saying earlier, it is formulaic. There is a simplicity to it. And if you just keep going with that too long without making any additions to it, I feel like you're almost, you're almost talking down to the audience. So when you kind of include them in on the joke or you try to take it to a slightly different level, you're acknowledging that you can bring the audience with you. You're acknowledging that they're smart enough to figure this out. And so I, I like that it, it's actually really playing with that, that bringing down that fourth wall to some extent of, of talking directly to the audience. So I've always, I've always liked that about it. It can get to be a bit much depending on how it's done, <laughs> but I think it's really fun. I wonder too, if why, why it is the slasher movie that was per- so capable of this kind of talking with the audience that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, Something, I, I don't know, something about how the slasher movie is all about play with the audience and all about mm-hmm. a kind of communing with with an audience. It is. I, I, I would agree with that. Too. I don't know. So we've resolved nothing. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> well, no, and you know, it, it's funny because we're just in this last conversation and yeah, we've been recording for a little over an hour and it's getting late here and, and I don't want this to go on, but I started thinking about just kind of the history of, of horror as a genre and the idea of there's sort of a built-in morality play to traditional mm-hmm. horror wherein you, the, 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 and so mm-hmm. boy, yeah. that's probably a whole other show you know, of, of, of how that fits well, in. We touched on it briefly mm-hmm. during the monster hunters episode and yeah, yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. We're going to do another monster episode in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> there's, I mean, I find it to be a fascinating genre because you know, again, I study pop culture for a living, and this is one of the most popular things that I know the least about. So it's fascinating to me. But but there's so much there, and I don't know. Is it? And and I'm still like I'm still wondering. And you know, again, like you said, we've resolved nothing. But to me, the biggest question is why. You know, why do we love these so much? And you know, I think Christine pointed out from the very from so the very panicking. beginning. If we go back yeah. to our, yeah, but it's but you're being if, if we go, if we go, yeah, 
Like you're you're looking for frights yeah. from things that you know rise. are going to happen. Well, well and that, we, you and yeah. and I were talking about that that addictive nature of our fandoms, which is a, a show we're going to do eventually. Just how we get addicted to mm-hmm. sort of this. There's something comforting about seeing the same tropes over and over and over again. But I, I was going to say, you know, that that fear thing. I mean, you know, the the horror genre, the the the, the slasher genre. You know, way back in our monkey brain, we're still afraid of being eaten by a saber toothed tiger. You know, we're we're, oh, yeah. we're, we're we're in the yeah. woods alone. Oh my god, it's killed everybody else in my tribe. How can I get away? So I think, I, yeah, I think it speaks to something really very primal. Yeah, but you crave. I mean, you, you don't want to well, be and, and, if tiger, and if we're in a, but, if we're in a movie theater, like we're not gonna be. So there's the safety involved. Yeah, we, yeah. Well, but I, I'm I'm wondering That's if it's more like, like it's like you know, like my nephew who's three who begs you yeah. to tickle him and yeah. then runs away every time you start to like, he doesn't want to be tickled, but he really does. Yeah. And, it, and it, it's that same thing, you know, like we go to these films where, you know, I mean, and maybe I don't want to get into <laughs> jump scares, but the jump scare is something you know is going to happen. It's cheap, but you jump every like time. Everybody, yeah. You can tell that you're about to be <laughs> right because the music gets really, really soft. So clearly, it's going to get loud in a second. And yeah. you know, somebody and you know, I know I'm in a slasher movie. Clearly, <laughs> someone's hiding behind the wall. <laughs> like you know, it's coming. You you know the formula, mm-hmm. but you still jump, and you pay twelve dollars to see it because you're craving yeah. that rush from when the killer jumps out. I have a, a real quick funny story. <laughs> from a few days ago I actually I was uh, I was going into a hotel and I got there really later after 3 a.m and they gave me a hotel key to somebody's room that um, apparently someone was in there sleeping <laughs> so, so I, I slid the key in the door and uh, as soon as I opened the door some guy started screaming and yelling like he was terrified you could you could hear it you could actually wow. you could like, feel it he's like yelling at me and I'm like whoa whoa could you calm down it's okay they gave me the wrong key and he com- he comes roaring out of the room and everything it was just insane and it was like an adrenaline rush for probably for me and yeah. for him I think that's kind of the same feeling that people like love and crave when they watch or read horror. I mean, you don't want to actually like get into somebody's because he could have been a slasher or I, I could have been. That. I'm kidding. Yeah. Why does no slasher ever say, no, no, don't worry, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay, and then stab <laughs> <laughs> the r- well, now, now we know. Uh, well, one of you can use that for your next book. It's the, it's the, the most polite slasher. The room key. All right, I'm only here. For the room key six. That's my favorite in the series. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was kind of funny, yeah. but I felt terrible for that guy. Yeah. He was horrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was so scared. Yeah. I, it was it was like I don't know. I don't want to say it was funny, but it was kind of like <laughs> it's <was an> interesting <laughs> experience. But we just, but we I've just, just never seen someone so scared before in my life. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> well. I would like to thank all all three of you for yeah. coming on with us this Thanks week. Thanks for joining thank us. You. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And I, you know, learned some things for me to process. Hopefully the audience learned some. And 
So if people want to follow you guys on the social media internets, or if they would like to um, buy your books, because, you know, I assume you want to sell them. (laughs) How would they, how would they do that? How would they, how would they find your, find your stuff, Gwen? Uh, go to my website, GwendolynKeist.com or find me on Twitter at Gwendolyn Keist and on Facebook. Just search my name, Gwendolyn Keist. Yep. We will link to your website in the show notes. And Christine? Um, mine, uh, you can find my Facebook page, Solstice Night Sky Productions. Uh, you can also find my books on Amazon. I do my Kindles for about 99 cents too. Um, if you, you know, just want to do it that way. I'm also, I also have a lot of public events. I have one, a couple coming up at the end of the month one of them is going to be in um manesson it's a new one called halloween town yeah i love public events and talking to the humans <laughs> you do a lot of that. I mean, it was, I mean, you're like li- literally just about every week you're posting photos from another you know here's my booth at yeah, we're just you living like, dead. You're, you're doing a lot. Yeah, I love I love <laughs> yeah. doing the events. It's tough with my schedule, but you know. And John, I'm just a lowly graduate student. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> you can send me money or <laughs> like canned food. <laughs> But, uh, thank, yeah. thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Wayne. Where can people find you? Well, since we actually mentioned this time, we we don't talk about my writing very much, but I do. I have four novels available, so you can look me up on Amazon or Smashwords, or I I think one person bought it for a nook from the Barnes and Noble site at one point. <laughs> they're they're all available as uh, as ebooks, or you can order actual paperback copies of them. So. Do Nook still exist? I don't know. I don't know. Technically, I still have an account. I think I got paid for one five years ago. So, so thank you, Barnes and Noble, for that thirty-seven cents. (laughs) (laughs) You know, unless unless they're a sponsor one day, in which case, yeah, from the future, love Barnes and Noble. (laughs) (laughs) But they're not right now, so you know, whatever. Anyway. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show on Twitter at Vox Popcast. You can subscribe to it on iTunes or Stitcher or I don't know, probably SoundCloud and Plex and I don't know, wherever you get podcasts from. Please do that. If you subscribe, please write us a review. We need those reviews. Help people find the podcast and yeah, write us a good review because again, we're sad and lonely and you know pathetic. So you know. Don't make me cry. <laughs> I will. And you don't want to, you don't want to listen to that show. It'll be, it, it, it's not good for anybody. <laughs> so write us a review, subscribe to us on whatever your social media platform is of, of choice. Follow the blog at www.voxpodcast.com where we will post our calls for comments for our next episode, I think is going to be about sexy Halloween costumes. And then we're going to do another monster episode coming up. So there'll be places for you to comment on there or on the Facebook feed or on Twitter to watch those things. I would like to thank Maximilian of thought for music for our epic theme music that is playing us out here and finishes every podcast. And I don't think I've made fun of it for being way too long or way too loud in weeks. So, you know, I'm just doing that. now. (laughs) And I would like to thank all three of our guests once again for coming on. Thank you guys. Thanks for having thank us. You. Yep. And thank I'd like you. to thank you all for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.